Matt Blunt spent a good part of his life in public service, whether it be in the U.S. Navy, the Missouri House, the Secretary of State's office, or the Missouri governorship. And few would make an argument that Blunt wasn't consequential in Missouri's politics or policy. Blunt joins us for a very special edition of Politically Speaking, where he talks about his legacy and his current role advocating for the big three automakers. Let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest-running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a political correspondent with St. Louis Public Radio, returning (laughs) after a three-month absence to this uh, glorious podcast we have. Is co-founder... Uh, semi-correspondent right now, Joe Manis. Well, there's a reason we're, we're bringing Joe back because, and I'm 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 not just sucking up to you, Governor. I have never been as excited to do a show Let's with, with yours. So that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. But uh, our guest today is Matt uh, Blunt, uh, former governor of Missouri. Uh, first of all, I like having former governors on the show. I think that they can provide a lot of insight into executive leadership and the history of Missouri. But also, I mean, it's very special for me because you were governor during the first couple years of my professional career, and I'm getting just a lot of nostalgia right now. I'm sure Joe's getting a lot of nostalgia, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, although it's a little different. I mean, I am excited about uh, Matt Blunt being here as well, although not as excited as Jason. Most exciting one for me was Kip Bond yeah. mm-hmm. as so. far as uh, – so no offense. but mm-hmm. None <laughs> but, taken. <laughs> But, yeah, but I think this is great. I think uh, we're hoping to have a real, uh, it's going to be fast-paced because of your time, uh, discussion about your your present, your past, how that's affected, I mean, past as governor, how that's affected things, kind of your observations, and also about your great tie. Apparently, you actually yeah. design ties in your as as a sideline or have done that? Well, I've, I've I've had a tie designed that I could give to people when I was governor that had some of the emblems of the state. And uh, they've become popular with some of my, my friends that are now in the Missouri Senate in the Capitol. Yeah. Did, you, did you keep any? I You know what? They, they were so popular that I have given the last one away, though I think there is an effort underway to re... <laughs> To recast these ties. Yeah. The, by the way, the person that showed me the tie was Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe, who you know you you, you only kickstarted his political career by appointing him to the the Transportation Commission. Yeah, but they still don't have they don't have any sort of uh, portrait or anything of you in the Capitol yet, do they? No, but we're working on it. Okay. It is a I know it's, a, it's a delayed fulfillment of that obligation. So they have but the will tie, be done. but not you. It will be done. I'll be there. I'm sorry, I've been harassing you about that, but I do feel. Your place in history needs to be secured in the Missouri Capitol. But let's talk about your current role, because sure. it's not like you have been lazy or inactive out of politics. In fact, you have a very important role advocating for the big three automakers now. Just kind of explain what you do right now. Sure. So I'm the president of what's called the American Automotive Policy Council, which is a, a small uh, trade association that focuses really almost entirely on uh, trade issues for Fiat Chrysler, Ford, and General Motors. And you might wonder why you'd have a trade association just to focus on 
uh, trade. And it's because autos are such a widely traded commodity. A lot of a, a good chunk of global trade is in the automotive uh, sector. We export more cars and parts from the United States than anything else. About 140 billion dollars a year. Uh, so it's uh, it's you know very important to our our companies because we export about one out of five vehicles that we make in the United States get exported. And trying to ensure that other markets remain open is important to us. Now it's kind of interesting that you ended up with the auto industry as a Republican, as a fiscal conservative. I mean, there would be some who would say that may not be a good fit, at least early on, because you know uh, the auto industry is very strong labor component. Uh, the leaders have often been politically mixed. Kind of, how did you end up in that? And. Um, then we'll segue into how your past kind of affected this. Sure. Well, they they'd actually reached out to me about uh, if I'd be interested in the, the position a couple of years after I uh, left office. So I started February 1 of 2011. Um, but, you know, it is a, it's an important industry for the country. It's a good percentage of our GDP. About 3% of our GDP is in the auto sector. And really, it is an important sort of foundation for all of manufacturing uh, in the United States. And, of course, Missouri is an auto state, like a lot of states, with uh, a a Ford and uh, General Motors presence and uh, certainly a lot of automotive suppliers. In most states, uh, or many states, automotive uh, suppliers is the largest component of their manufacturing. And actually, I think that's true uh, in Missouri as well. How have the Trump tariffs affected things? (laughs) Have you been involved in either reacting to him, trying to block them, or whatever? So we're, we're extremely involved with what uh, the president is trying to do on trade. We are very dependent on trade, as I, as I mentioned. And uh, the administration's trying um, to do a lot of things that we think need to be done. So, for example, in the new NAFTA, uh, there's a currency provision, which we've long for, long called for having currency provisions as a part of free trade agreements. Uh, there's the strongest sta- uh, language on standards that we've ever uh, had in a free trade agreement. And that's important because um, we're really in a battle with the Europeans uh, to keep other foreign markets open for our products. The Europeans do a very good job of convincing other countries to accept products built to their standards. And when they do that, they can have the effect of closing those markets to products built to U.S. standards. And the administration has done a good job on that. I mean, as with a lot of things, people you know, sometimes quibble, quibble with the tactics of the administration. Uh, but certainly the goals and objectives are very closely aligned with where we thought trade policy should be for a number of years. Yeah, I was just going to, I read a book by Bob Woodward about the president. And one of the major aspects, I don't know if you've read the particular book I'm talking about, but one of the the conflicts that was in the administration was there were a lot of stalwart Republican people that were brought in uh, to deal with trade policy who this like boisterously disagreed with the president on trade because it's so different from what you know George W. Bush did or maybe what Mitt Romney would have um, advocated for. How is how has his differences uh, of philosophy on trade kind of affected your current role, and has it? Has it been a good working relationship or has it been kind of difficult to, to navigate what for, for many Republicans is, is a major shift in thinking? Yeah, I think it is a it is a major shift in, in thinking that I think probably has long term implications for um, the Republican the Republican Party. But, you know, the administration, as you point out, has lots of different voices in terms of trade policy. So um, we try and talk to all those all those folks about our concerns. Again, we have a lot that the administration is trying to do that we entirely agree with. 
Um, we think the new NAFTA is better than the old NAFTA. We're strong supporters of it. We think it's done a number of things that are important for um, for really our industry. Um, and we believe it will actually you know, force lots of investment in the United States in the auto sector, a significant new sourcing of U.S. parts uh, for vehicles built in North America and lead to the creation of tens of thousands of jobs. Now, in your role... Do you engage a lot with members of Congress? Do you talk to your dad, who's the senior senator from Missouri, mm-hmm. Roy Blunt, just so folks know? Um, or, I mean, just kind of how do you, what's your typical day like, and, and yeah. who do you reach out to? So we, we typically, we deal with a lot of sometimes technical issues that exist in foreign countries. Um, so we spend a lot of time, for example, in um, technical issues in the Middle East. And I've traveled to the United Arab Emirates to, to meet with uh, regulators really? in that country to talk about some of the regulations they were uh, establishing. Um, the uh, you know we export about two hundred thousand vehicles a year to the Middle East and, and North North Africa. Our primary points of contact actually are in the administration, the departments of commerce. Um, the U.S. Trade Representative's Office is probably the most important. Uh, agency that we interact with on a regular basis. Because we track currency so much, we deal with the Treasury uh, and meet with the Treasury with some with some regularity. If we think economies that have a history of manipulating their currency, such as Japan or Korea, are doing something in the marketplace that's keeping the market from setting uh, the currency exchange rate, um, we spend a lot of time in a sort of a global forum uh, that's called the Working Party 29 uh, that meets in Geneva regularly. So either I or folks that work in the office with me travel to Geneva with some regularity to participate in those meetings. So how did your career in public service, which not only includes being governor, but also secretary of state, a member of the Missouri House, and serving in the U.S. Navy, prepare yeah. you for your current current role. Well, and, and before you answer, I just want to make a, a clear start for our listeners. Uh, you were Secretary of State from 2001 to 2005. Mm-hmm. When you became governor, you were governor one term from 2005 to early 2009. You'd been the State House for one or two terms. One right? term. I've never been reelected to any yeah, office. Yeah, well, well, that's what I thought, <laughs> although sometimes by choice. And then, uh, so uh, that said, go ahead. Yeah, well, always by choice in, in my, my situation. I, you know, I think it gave me a, a sense of... Um, and just a sense of some sense of how government works. The federal government doesn't work in the same way the state government uh, the state government works. But it gave me a sense of that. Um, I think state government moves a little faster, so you have to learn to be a little more patient when you're interacting with the the, the federal government. Uh, and that was, a, I think, a lesson that I've. Uh, learned somewhat slowly because I'm not an impatient, I'm not a patient person by by nature. But you do have to be, I think, more patient when you're dealing with the federal, uh, the federal government. Um, you know, you do get some experience, governor, working with foreign governments when you're trying to talk about foreign direct investment in in Missouri and the trade relationship we have with foreign entities. And we do spend a lot of time interacting with foreign governments in in my in my role in my role today. So I think it, it gave some degree of pre- uh, preparation, but. As with any interesting job, there was lots to learn, and uh, I'm still learning something about the auto industry and uh, foreign trade well, almost every day. Which was harder, negotiating with foreign governments or negotiating with Rod Blagojevich? <laughs> yeah, I only met Rod Blagojevich one time the oh. entire time I was governor. Really? No, one time. The, he was saw, the governor of Illinois. At the time. We saw it in meetings. We actually had a very successful summit that uh, Governor Sebelius and I did um, in Kansas City. Uh, we do it once a year. I think we did it four times, and at least three times. I think all four times. And 
you know, it was a good opportunity to talk about how we cooperate together, how we could try to have what everybody always hopes for, which is a, a truce sort of in poaching one another's uh, jobs. Um, tried to actually establish the same thing with Rod Blagojevich, but no response. <laughs> he, I, I met him one time, and it was when we finally signed um, – the we bridge. did some sort of joint bill signing for the new Mississippi I, River there, Bridge. There's photos of you two, and I think I did a caption once. It's former Governor Matt Blunt and prisoner number X. <laughs> but, but he like, didn't even come to the White House. Stuff. Most yeah. of the governors go to the White House meeting and that sort of thing. He didn't go to that either. Well, um, before we kind of offer a little bit of a take on your uh, four years as governor, what do you see as your major achievements during that term? And you also probably should make it clear to uh, listeners about why you decided not to run for re-election. Because I remember when that oh, happened, that was in— We'll get to that, Joe. I know, I know, but the <laughs> but the point is, you know, it kind sure. of shook— It was one of the first of what turned out to be a series of stunning uh, things that happened in Missouri politics over the next 10 years, I yeah. think. So, um, you know, I had a real opportunity, I think, to sort of reset Missouri state government. It was, as you know, the first— Republican governor with a Republican legislature in 80 years. And I think we were able to do substantial things that benefited the state. We were able to make Missouri a better place to create jobs and economic opportunity, but with things like litigation reform, workers' compensation reform, other regulatory relief, those things helped us create 70,000 new and net new jobs over the, those four, four years. Um, the budget, as you all know, was was in, in shambles with a billion-dollar budget deficit. We made a number of, I think, difficult but important decisions early on that allowed us to um, reset our, our footing on uh, the state budget. And after having faced a billion-dollar uh, deficit my first year, we were able to enjoy surpluses years after that. And, in fact, when we left, it was the largest surplus uh, the state had ever had, not including even the the rainy the rainy day fund. So the budget, uh, fixing a broken state budget was, I think, an important thing that we were able to accomplish. Um, and then I think, in many ways, we were able to, you know, have a try to do things that established uh, that. Uh, reflected our values of personal responsibility and a belief in the importance of faith and, and family in Missouri. You know, some people like to wax nostalgic about the mid-2000s and point to people like Charlie Shields and Mike Gibbons as, and, and yourself and others as statesmen and how it was a better time. But being in the Missouri Capitol during that time, it was probably one of the most contentious periods in recent Missouri political history. And I think it was because a Republican governor was coming in with Republican legislature, making some major policy changes. Democrats still had a lot of people in the Senate and the House, which meant that especially your decisions on Medicaid um, and other aspects of your administration, just a, a torrent of criticism came your way. And I, I'm, I've always wanted to ask, like, how did you deal with that? Because it, it probably wasn't an easy thing to go from being like a state House member and secretary of state where the pressure to do things is not as high as being governor. And then you're doing all these very consequential things, but it's it's not being universally received, like, with open arms. Yeah, well, it, I, mean, I mean, I think they could be lying. So you relish criticism or relish uh, uh, you know, criticism you might think was, was unfair at, at times. But if you are comfortable with your decisions, and I was, I thought we were doing the right and necessary things um, for, for our state. Um, 
then you can sleep pretty well at night and get up and face the, the battle uh, the battle again. But it was it was a time of tremendous change for the state. There's no question about that. Um, change is always difficult to manage. I think we did a number of things very quickly, which I think was the right right way to do it, rather than trying to uh, spread it out over four years, because we believed that the change would deliver beneficial results for the people of our state. So I want to I want to touch on that topic with something that you said. Uh, when you announced you weren't going to run for re-election okay. and, and use that as a jumping off point. Some believe we seek solutions as a path to re-election. My mission, though, has never been about the next election. It was and is about making our state government worthy of the people it serves. The ability to keep change working for Missourians does not rest with a single person. This is not about who is governor. It is about embracing the ideas and values which will allow every Missourian to reach his or her full potential. Once, when asked if you were running for re-election, another governor responded, yes, I like being governor. When I read that, I thought at the time that I never wanted to run for any office just to hold it. I did not run for governor to have a title, but to bring change to state government. After 10 years in the United States Navy, I knocked on my first door as a candidate for office. I did not envision then that I would spend the next 10 years in state government. The habit of politicians is to remain in office. And the desire to prove oneself in the next election is strong. But after a great deal of thought and prayer, and with the knowledge that we've achieved virtually everything I set out to accomplish and more, I will not seek a second term in the upcoming election. Because I feel we've changed what I wanted to change in the first term, there's not the same sense of mission for a second. So I've actually listened to that speech. I don't know. This, that probably is the first time you've heard that in a long time. In a I long assume. time. And it's well said, though. Yeah, it, it, it was well said. And I, I, I know I, I, I gave you praise at the beginning, but I have thought about what you said when I've listened to that in the recent past. And, you know, people were coming up with all sorts of reactions when you said that they thought there was some other reason, like you couldn't beat Jay Nixon or other things. But it, it really did seem like you wanted to move on and do something else and not just be elected official anymore and you you may have been more comfortable doing something with like what you're doing now that's my observation I, I I'd like you to kind of reflect on on that decision which as Joe mentioned really did change Missouri politics for a long time well it was another uh, dif- difficult uh, decision to make but I've never I've never looked back with any regret on that uh, decision at all it uh, decision um, it, certainly from a personal standpoint has allowed me to you know spend far more time with my uh, my wife and uh, now two sons. It was one son that I had while I was governor than would have been imaginable if I'd uh, continued in, in public office. And we've got a great, um, great family life uh, together. So I, certainly from that perspective, a personal perspective, I don't uh, regret it in any way. And I do, I do believe I'd accomplish what I was going to accomplish as governor in that, that first term. Um, is I've, I think through what I wanted to do as governor, the only thing I really never was able to accomplish was sort of some sort of education reform around failing school districts. Uh, we tried to pass a scholarship bill, weren't successful, um, which I, was disappointing to me because I thought that was a, an issue that in some ways reflects the best of both parties, a Republican belief in competition and opportunity and a Democrat belief in, in social social justice. I think we, I wish we could have delivered that, but it didn't seem to be in the cards for a, a term two either. So I, I, I think it was the right decision. I was proud of what we accomplished. And I think it did make 
the state a different state than it had been before. Missouri government was different after I was governor than it had been when I first took office, and uh, was certainly proud of that and ready to move on. I mean, arguably the most controversial decision, <coughs> excuse me, you made during your tenure was you and the Republican leaders in the General Assembly cut Medicaid substantially. So there were tens of thousands of people who either lost coverage or lost at least part of their coverage or were knocked off the rolls. I mean, for good or bad. Um, but that happened. Uh, then Attorney General Jay Nixon, after he became governor, spent eight years trying to get some of those people back on or trying to expand Medicaid. Uh, that didn't happen. Missouri remains one of the most restrictive states in the country when it comes to Medicaid eligibility. Looking back, I mean, now it's because um, this happened in, what, 2005? Yeah, I think it's been about 14 years. Yeah. And before you answer, ask your question, we should also note, and I'm sure you're going to mention, there was a very major restructuring of Medicaid that correct. happened in 2007. So Correct, continue. correct. But my point being that that was probably the most dramatic change in the state's Medicaid program ever. And it's been in more than a decade since then. And while there's been battles about it, it really hasn't changed. I mean, so right. I'm and just I, interested. I in think your that is is proof that it was the right the right thing to do. I don't think anybody's ever presented a serious plan to go back to uh, the old Medicaid that was clearly something the state could not afford. We were spending a, a tr over a third of our budget on Medicaid, which at the time was very high compared uh, to, to other states. It was stifling our ability to make investments in education. And while I was governor, we increased education funding every single year because that's how you invest in the future, by investing uh, in education. I think the fact that again, that there's not been any real serious plan or effort to go back is is meaningful. Um, there was a big change. A lot of the change in terms of reducing the number of people in the program was just focused around actually doing a better job verifying eligibility. About half the people that came off have came off because of better eligibility verification. But it was challenging. It's what we spent a lot of time on as we prepared the first budget. And then, as you point out, um, we also learned one thing I think you learned as you dig into Medicaid, certainly the Medicaid existed then, it's not very good health care. So we tried through Missouri Health Net to create a better system with greater access where folks would have a medical home where we'd actually provide higher reimbursements to providers so that they'd actually see Medicaid uh, patients and we made some progress on, on all those fronts. But since then, I mean, while I think your efforts were, I mean, you know, you were trying to make things better. Um, a, uh, the state has rejected arguably about $10 billion in federal money for the expansion because they didn't do it. Uh, part of it's for political reasons. B, in rural Missouri, where you're very well grounded, a lot of these rural hospitals have folded uh, since you've been out of office, uh, in part because of the failure of Medicaid to expand. I'm just interested, when you're looking at this now, I mean, granted you're in something else, but just kind of your thoughts about, did things work out the way you thought, or did you think something else was going to happen? Well, it's time I wouldn't have never predicted Obamacare, so it would have been yeah, you know, things didn't work out the way we thought because I wouldn't have thought that the federal government would step in with a massive expansion of, of Medicaid as it did under uh, Obamacare. Um, but based on what the facts we had then, the, the, the environment we had then, I think it was the right thing to do. And I think Missouri was well served by it and remained in good fiscal condition because of it. And one thing, one program and proposal that I think gets lost in the memory hole that I want to talk about before we talk about present day is Insure Missouri. I'm sure you remember that it was like a a, a program aimed at providing subsidized insurance for the working poor. 
and it didn't end up passing because it was in the last year of your term. Mm -hmm. It kind of got entangled in a fight between, like, House members wanting to change how hospitals are are regulated. I I always wondered if that was a missed opportunity because it seems like that could have been, had it passed and been implemented, a way to essentially achieve the goals of the Affordable Care Act by offering more people insurance. I'm not I'm not sure if you've thought about that particular program since it didn't end up passing, but I'd be interested in your perspective on that because I do remember it. And I've, I've always thought since Obamacare came along, like that could have been what Missouri could have done to to get more people health care, essentially. So what's your Yeah, thought? I think it would have it would have been a way to expand and I don't remember all the details of the program. But it was ten years ago. So <laughs> exactly. <it's fair. laughs> so uh, but it was it, it was a good way to expand access to, to care and to gain expand access to, to insurance um, and to really leverage uh, public money uh, to, to do that. Um, it would have taken, I think, some waivers with the federal government, if I remember some of the details, particularly around dish payments and that sort of thing. But we think it would have, I thought at the time it would work and uh, was a supporter of it. Now, I do want to bring this up. I mean, I don't want to get too caught in the weeds, but as the former governor and I know, his last year, fair or unfair, got embroiled in a controversy over email uh, record retention by the governor's office, if stuff was being uh, uh deleted. There became a huge controversy uh, over whether or not the General Assembly should be preserving records. Because in fact, I mean, the last year of your um, governorship, A, it was caught up in that. But that was also like when people were really paying attention more to like emails and electronic communications. I mean, 10 years from now, I mean, now no one would even think about, I mean, it's just, it's taking over everything. Uh, I'm just interested in your thoughts because it seemed to be a precursor of things to come and the General Assembly is still fighting over whether or not to retain emails and that sort of thing. Looking back, did that did that whole controversy affect the other issues that you would have liked to have dealt with but you were having to deal with on the side? I'm just interested mm-hmm. in your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I remember at the time I, I generally thought it was ridiculous controversy based on a bunch of accusations that um, were were un, unfounded um, from a not not uh, not very strong source, um, but it's not something I've spent a lot of time dwelling on since I left office. I think you may remember. Um, you know, I think eventually I decided, and it, part of my reluctance was I did I was concerned that any governor, future governors, would really have it become worried about how they'd interact with their staff in a candid manner if every document was going to be released, which is essentially what that does. Yeah, press now, the end here. <laughs> so I think you may have actually been in the, the group that went through all the emails when I, I did I release so. them. Oh, there yes. was a, a oh, little yes. a party of reporters. <laughs> I can't imagine how exciting that was. It but, was probably very exciting. Um, 50 you know, eventually I decided to release all my emails, and, um, and also we instituted a what we didn't have before, which was actually a permanent email retention system so that they all were indeed um, retained. So... You know, those are decisions. In retrospect, I might have gotten gotten to more quickly if I had to do it over again. Um, but uh, uh, there was there was a lot to think about how you were going to bind future governors in terms of how they interact with their staff. And I just want to give you some credit here because we went through a governorship where somebody who was embroiled in controversy did not talk to the press and did not answer questions. Joe and I were talking. You answered a whole host of questions about this and dove face first into the controversy, so to speak. And I always respected you for that and uh you know not everybody would have done that yeah i mean just because as a journalist and i mean i will say this i mean there are governors uh mel carnahan was like this 
you were like this. Um, you could always get you after uh, a news conference. In fact, that was one of the, the cudgels I used against Nixon so that they would start doing that, yeah. saying, well, Blunt did it. I'm giving a lot of credit you know, to the person be- <laughs> sitting behind you, Rich Christmer. Yeah, because, I mean, I think it does help if the governors, I mean, even during all this controversy over emails, when you had a press conference on something else, roads or whatever, you would still take time to talk to reporters about who had other questions on their minds. And I think that did, I mean, I said Carnahan did that, but not everybody wants to do that. I mean, uh, Nixon got pretty good at it, uh, but Greitens from your own party did not. And I think that helped contribute to his downfall because there was no communication. Mm-hmm. He wasn't able to get his message out on some of the controversies surrounding him. But it seems when you look at your your tenure and you look at Greitens' tenure, although there were different things, but some of his problems stem from things that you tackled and dealt with, like the email retention and communications, internal communications in your staff, which may sound kind of wonky to our listeners, but it's a big deal. It's Mm -hmm. a big deal, the fact that you set up a record retention policy, and they came up with a different system, Greitens did, to try to circumvent it. I mean, obviously the the press has an an important role to play. Um, I think I maybe answered questions... um, at length sometimes to my staff's dismay, but I enjoyed the give and take. I think, you know, there's a lot of well-informed questions out there. And uh, when folks ask questions, I tried, I tried to answer them. Um, and uh, maybe sometimes I shouldn't, have, but I always tried oh, to answer well, all the well, questions. You're a great segue, your governor, because let's, let's talk about one of the wackier questions that you asked. This was actually the last time that I saw you before your Lincoln Day uh, speech, which we'll touch on very briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was uh, when you pardoned a couple of turkeys in front of uh, the governor's mm-hmm. mansion. I hereby pardon Turkeys and Stewie. He will not be coming to a dinner table near you anytime soon. And uh, we've taken them off the chopping block and they will have a very pleasant existence with Missouri school children. Thank you all. Do you have any reaction to the fact that the turkey you pardoned last year died of obesity? Yeah, we're still trying to confirm the actual cause of death, but I've heard that's a, that's a potential reason. But, you know, he had uh, several pleasant months, and we have confirmed that he was not consumed. He was not consumed by anybody. I don't know what the lifespan of a natural lifespan of a turkey is perhaps somebody here knows how long should a turkey live anybody so the governor the thing that i cannot believe about that clip is you actually asked reporters for questions because i was i was not expecting that but um i i often play that clip around thanksgiving just as a as a humorous thing but also just to point out that i i don't think there's been a turkey pardoning since your turkey (laughs) partings and it also is kind of a showcase that uh they have unintended consequences, I suppose. Yeah, so there's a lot of turkeys who've been consumed since then. Since then, indeed. So you, you have an obsession with gobbles, Jason. I, I'm just so, won't I'm, die. I, I won't die. So the last thing I want to touch on, because I know we're running short on time, is I want to play a clip from uh, Lincoln Days where you talk about the future of the Republican yeah, Party. Yeah, and this is just recent. You know, Missouri's uh, current constitution was adopted in 1945. And since then, there have actually been only six years in that entire period. We had a Republican governor, Republican House, Republican Senate. And when we report to the electorate in 2020, it will still have only been eight years with a Republican House, Republican governor, Republican Senate in the more than seven decades since that Constitution uh, was, was adopted. And it's the case today, of course, that we have a Republican House, a Republican uh, governor, and a Republican Senate. And that is a great reward for a lot of hard work work that all of you have been 
engaged in uh, for years, and in some cases, decades. It's a great reward, but it is also uh, a tremendous responsibility. Uh, because when we face the voters in 2020, they'll have a right to ask what we've done with that opportunity. What have we accomplished for the people of Missouri? And we know there won't be anybody else to blame uh, because of the, this unique circumstance we have in our state. So the question I wanted to pose to you is a final thought. Um, how do you think Republicans now can avoid the situation you alluded to, where Republicans won in 2004, and then by 2008, Democrats won most of the offices besides lieutenant governor? Different dynamics at play, like you won gov the governorship very narrowly, whereas the statewide office holders won by a large margin due to Trump. So it, it, clearly, the dynamics in Missouri have changed. But I, I'd be interested for you to elaborate on, like, what is your what is your general message to Republicans, and particularly Governor Mike Parson as he goes into uh, his first election. Sure. And I, you know, I think Missouri has changed. There's, as, as Missourians have watched um, Washington Democrats, they've uh, decided they don't want a, a part of that. And uh, it's become a more uh, Republican state. Um, but what the legislature and the governor do over the next couple of years has, you know, tremendous uh, impact on what happens in the election. They have to demonstrate that they're able to work together and tackle big problems. Um, I don't know that Mike Parson needs any advice from me. He's, I think, doing just a, a great a great job. Uh, but my advice would be to continue to do what he's doing, which is maintain this strong relationship with the legislature where he's constantly interacting with them, trying to identify uh, priorities that they have and that he has that they can work on together. Um, I think he is, is really doing it, and he's really done a great job. And as a Missourian, I'm grateful that he was able to really pull our state out of a, uh, an embarrassing crisis and restore some credibility to state government, which I think he did almost immediately, given his uh, presence and persona. What do you think are the big issues that have really changed since you were governor? I mean, you forged kind of an alliance with labor. You didn't go after right to work and stuff, which Republicans since then have. I'm just interested in your thoughts, looking at what's going on in the state and then going forward. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know if we had an alliance with labor. I you know, think if, if you look at workers' compensation reform or employment compensation reform we passed, I think they were generally, generally opposed to, to those things. Um, but we did have, I think, a an open working relationship where we were able to talk about issues. And you know, I've always been proud of the fact that uh, labor leaders would tell me that I, I never, <laughs> that I always did exactly what I told them I was going to do, and uh, never uh, backed away from any commitment that I'd made to them. Governor, I just want to thank you again for your time this afternoon. It was, again, a real joy to see you again and talk with you at length about your legacy and what you're doing now. And as I said to you at Lincoln Days, I'm just overjoyed to see you on Twitter and see how mm -hmm. great you and your family are doing, because I, I, I enjoyed covering you in Missouri politics, but I'm, I'm heartened that you're kind of out of it now and having your own life right now. Now, where do you live? We live on a farm about 50 miles west of Washington. Mm -hmm. We have uh, some sheep that are lambing right now. And then them. we have uh, about 35 um, mother ca cows that uh, will calve in the next few months. So well, well, I think you it's can. It's a lot of fun. Good for the boys and good for me. You can follow, <laughs> I guess, your, your exploits on Twitter and your farm animals at Matt Blunt. Is that <laughs> it what is it's at? at Matt Blunt. You can follow Joe on Twitter at. Jay Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Thank you, everybody, and thank you, Governor. Until next time, so fun. long. Thank you.